I love. I, I mean, that was probably my favorite scene. Oh, those are space physics. Those are space coordinates. Right. He's going, <laughs> you're you're to account for the like, it's space coordinates. It looks you're like, you're my tech guy, and you didn't you're get my this. Science guy. Yeah. yeah. I was I totally going to troll Ben for this, but the director pulled it on uh, on you guys this time. So, that's yeah. Good. I know I was going to be like, that's all well and good, guys. But hey, Ben, tell us about the thing. And then, you know. Yeah, Ben, tell us about Captain Marvel. <laughs> Welcome to the Captain Marvel podcast. It was fun. Welcome to the Dresden Files podcast, where we spoil the, uh, the latest Marvel release. <laughs> the Dresden Files. Uh, not much news today. Uh, what chapter are we on? 49, 49. I think, as of uh, the 12th. Yeah, so you guys that are banking for the low 50s are starting to get yourselves out of the betting pool, I think. They were so. always wrong. Yeah. <laughs> low 50s. He's, a, he's about to write the end any day now. <laughs> today we're talking about the 10th full-length Dresden Files novel, Small Favor. Woo! Woo! That was kind of like the Denarians. <laughs> like no, right. That's a Six solid top five book. A solid what? Top, top five. five. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is definitely one of my favorites, and listening to it again was kind of proof why. Right. It's for me, I think some of the emotional nonsense that happens in it keeps it from shining entirely, which really should just give it the automatic, you know, four plus stars anyway. But like, it, this is one of the more quintessential books where it's just like, if you want a taste of like what all of the Dresden Files is, you want to see Harry be witty, you want to see them deal with the fairies and, you know, how that interacts with like, you know, police dealing with them and so forth and so on. Like you want to see Marcone, it, just everything. Everybody is in this book, kind of like Peace Talks. So, you know, just had to get that in early. Yep. Right, there's a quick <laughs> audiobook uh, note. Is it just me or is James going way more heavy on the Chicago accent on McCone in this one? Mark, it sounded New York times. almost. Well, he's doing some sort of accent at least, like way more than I feel like he usually does on McCone. Well, the way Marcone sounded in this one actually sounded like the way he usually does Hendrix, which got a little jarring. Hmm. It, it did seem like he kind of shook some things up this time because there were a couple of things that like pulled me out of it for a second. And then I'm like, yeah, whatever. And, and just kind of kept going. But yeah, he, he definitely seemed to have changed some things. So yeah. so who wants to do the plot synopsis? Justin. Uh, of course, it's always <laughs> me. So this will be pretty funny because this will be like one, two, skip a few. We're done because I, I basically omitted like the middle half of the book this time. But yeah, and then um, I put it all back in. Oh, did you? Okay. <laughs> so, so it, I mean, roughly, you know, at, at a high level, you know, so we we open up in the carpenter's backyard, and uh, Harry's throwing snowballs at Molly with the help of the Jawas uh, because. That's better than softballs, which is how he learned how to create shields. And uh, softballs and, are better than rocks, which is how Morgan learned. <laughs> right. Uh, and so uh, basically you get a, a nice little endearing moment until, of course, winter comes. Well, actually, summer comes knocking uh, So uh, because it's the gruffs. Uh, so we get the, we get the babyest gruffs come uh, and basically attack the carpenter house. Uh, and it was just kind of interesting because, like, Harry freaks out, 
Molly kind of freaks out, but mostly keeps her cool. And then you see Charity just be like, hey, guess what? This is why we do drills. And so, you know, she just says emergency. All the kids go inside. Molly throws a veil, pulls one over on one of the gruffs. You know, Harry kind of shuts him down, chases him off, kills one, right? At least one. Uh, turned him into barbecue lamb or whatever. Yeah. Goat. And Charity nail guns at least one of them. Right. Which, I feel like all of them die there, but... It's actually, it's been all like two weeks. I started right after you finished the last one. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you get some cool moments there. Um, I'm trying to remember what's, what's the next chronologically because it's, well, Murphy shows up, right? Murphy gives him the phone call, whatever, uh, basically. Yeah, talks so, to Rob and then he goes to find out about the uh, pentagram hellfire stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. So in, in this one, basically the Denarians are back spoilers. Cause we don't know that just yet, but um, basically they had created some giant freaking pentagram thing out of hellfire and uh, had basically used it to carve through at least one of Marcone's buildings and a couple other, you know, innocent bystander type buildings and get at him. In, As you do in the Dresden files. Right. <laughs> uh, and get at him in his safe house. And so basically Marcone's been kidnapped Murphy brings him in on it, and then we start to find out that this is part of why Winter and Summer are involved, is because uh, Mab is going to ask Harry for a small favor. She's asking him for her second of her three uh, favors that she can ask for, basically to have Harry investigate who, what, where, when, why, you know, whatever. Um, so now he's, uh, they call him Esquire, right? Or is mm -hmm. he, yeah, so he's Esquire of Winter, uh, whatever Empire of summer and an oh, emissary, of winter. emissary of winter okay yeah 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 i i knew the emissary thing was from you know summer night and everything but um basically so, whatever he does a favor for he he's an he's an emissary yep right so yeah so they they have him as an emissary again uh let's see he has a nice charming little conversation with uh fix right um where basically with a gun in your face Right. Yeah. It, it was very Kincaid. What, what was funny because it's it was like, uh, what was the one from uh, Blood Rights, right? Where Kincaid gets the drop on him in his office. It just he you get the gruff voice. You don't get the introduction for the character. You don't quite place Marster's you know, vocalizations just yet. And it's like, oh, yeah, right. Fixes in this one, <laughs> you know, for for a yeah. quick moment. So and that was another time when he actually changed the way he usually does fix his voice to make it sound more like Kincaid. Okay, so so it's not just me then, because no, I was definitely, definitely like, different. I was like, I know Kincaid's in this, but different there. But I took it as he was trying to be tough. Uh, like, <laughs> did you like just make your voice lower? <laughs> and he's like, "Hey, Harry, yeah, you're copying me." <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, so you get a, a whole thing where he's kind of like warning Harry slash kind of you know, threatening him because, you know, he's technically at odds and whatever. And Winter doesn't have a knight and Mab wants Harry to be the knight. So I guess Harry is the proxy knight for this one. And that's why Fix gets to show up and threaten him. I, I don't know. Like, I, I think he's worried that he actually is a knight. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, because if Harry decides to sucker punch fix then Wait, you know and, and fix says to show him the inside of his right wrist i think mm -hmm. was it and is it because that would have shown whether or not he was the knight but once he does become the knight i don't think harry has anything showing on his wrist 
Yeah, I I recall I I recall that I'm I don't we didn't get an elaboration right, and I don't yeah, think it's no. ever expanded on. So yeah, but I'm what I think is because I thought about the same thing. It's just that it's a thing Jim might have forgotten, or it's a structure that Summer did that Winter doesn't, but Fix assumed that Winter would as well. Yeah, maybe. maybe. It's I possible. mean that that'd be it. That'd be a really good retcon too. <laughs> I'll help you know that way. I I'm sure that it is every bit as important as the library, uh, Lord Wraith's library. It's totally going to come back and be explained later. So mm -hmm. don't you worry about that. Um, so you so you get that tender little moment. Um, trying to remember what else is in between, but basically from here, I'm thinking he just gets chased by the next level of gruffs, right? Uh, he they he goes he goes to the the scene of the the ritual there thing there. He summons the. Right. Uh, he steals Rollins's donut. Yeah, he steals. Rollins no, he goes to well, he goes right. to talk to um to Helen, Helen Beckett, and he meets up with oh, yeah. and all them. That's uh, that's after he summons. That's after right. First thing. Oh. He, yeah, so before that, even I missed the whole thing then because he summons. Toot toot. Right. He has a conversation with Matt right after he sees the thing with Right. And then he then he hooks up with Thomas and then Fix shows up with the shotgun and then he's okay. runs into uh, Helen Beckett. So so we probably so the second tier of gruffs was earlier then than the fix. Yeah, yeah it was it was right after the um the Mab. he found the pentagram stuff and right. talked okay. to him. He steals Rollins' donut, summons Toot, Toot runs right. uh, up to his face and says, Run away, forget about the donut. Well, what about right. the donut? Forget right. about yeah. the donut. <laughs> and then Mab says, He was not warning you about me. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the gruffs jump him, yeah. which yeah. I always forget the, the second tier gruffs because, like, I think in my head, it's like there's three Billy Goats in the folklore right and so mm -hmm. i'm like there's three levels because that makes sense but no there's four and these guys he mostly gets away from um you know he hurts them with nails which seems to be a recurring theme and will be brought up again later uh yeah the the whole Zalord's guard and the fact that like most of the ones that he saved from white knight are probably enlisted or at least a, a fair number of them now um the missing of course rollins like key contribution to the book, which is, you know, Harry and Rollins catching up with each other. And Harry's like, how's your leg? And Rollins is like, well, it starts acting up again when I'm being asked to leave. Ow. Ow. <laughs> you know, so uh, one of my favorite lines in this book. Um, so Harry, yeah, Harry's uh, trying to summon Toot Toot and Toot Toot doesn't want the donut because he's afraid of the gruffs. Uh, Harry loses them in a hardware store by like jumping off of the roof and into like a pile of snow, right? Or is it snow and garbage? Because Harry. <laughs> I thought it was mostly just snow, but he still, he littered it with shimmy, real nails. Down, like right. al almost above ground. He actually crawls down the side of a building in a snowstorm. Right. And then falls in the end down into a snow, like a bank of snow. Right, right, right. Yeah. So and then, then he leaves again on his staff and falls into the snowbank again. Right. That's Harry. So there yeah, you go. Okay, so from there he goes and has his conversation with Fix, uh, and then uh, and talks. And then he went home because he set up the the thing with Little Chicago and Mister and Catnip and the right. Silverleaf Pentacle thingy. Which that's which, not till later. But he does that before think, they go to see Beckett. 
and and it is it is fairly early because that that was the thing that I liked is like showing one of Harry's being clever moments, right? So he he sets up this, you know, he set, he takes his he realizes that Summer is probably tracking him through the pin leaf. So he takes his little silver oak pin leaf, ties it to an elastic or something over little Chicago pumps a full bunch of energy in it and then has Mr. Chase it. So every time he grabs the thing, it touches a random spot on the map, which is like fantastic and, and great because it's like what, what you lose sight of or what I lose sight of anyways in this book is that Harry is not an evoker. He doesn't just run around smashing shit because that's what he's good at. He's a bruiser, great, but where his skills lie is thaumaturgy. And so when you actually see him be like, no, no, this is what I'm actually good at. Like yeah okay I can I can smash you know glass chandeliers all day, but what I'm really good at is evocation right? It's moving energy around. Well yeah, but the reason why he's quote unquote good at that is because he's got more of it to throw around, you know. So he he's he's like Magog right? Like he's got a bunch of metaphysical energy. He is not at all a finesse fighter. You know you want to see somebody who's badass finesse that's Lucio and why she's got much less power, raw power than Dresden does, but she's more capable because, you know, she's got experience and finesse and, 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 and. Um, so, so I just like to see it when Harry does things like little Chicago and then use little Chicago to, to like surprise you, uh, you know, the first time you kind of see this. So, so he, he sets that up. He goes to talk to Demeter. He and Thomas uh, show up. The best exchange in the entire book. Like, where are we going? To where they treat me like royalty. And Thomas goes, we're going to Burger, going King. To Burger King. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like the top line, in my opinion, <laughs> the entire book. I think also Harry has to be like, must not kill brother. Yeah, yeah. Spell oh, fratricide. And, yeah. A Just few others. Justifiable homicide. Oh, right. Oh. Yeah, definitely a good point. They go, go to executive priority and uh, dazzled by boobs, and Thomas just kind of takes a dumbbell and turns it into a curly cue. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so they finally they finally talk the the frontline staff into letting them go see Demeter, who's not there because she's hiding because she's the next in command or one of the next. She's one of the lieutenants or whatever. And uh, one of the other lieutenants, I forget the dude's name. Torelli. Torelli. Yeah, Torelli, very mafioso sounding, right? So he shows up with a bunch of toughs and decides he's going to... Listeners, have you heard him as well? Like when he talks, he really, <laughs> he's like a stereotypical gangster. Right. Like the accent. It's, in, it's, it's, it's well, actually pretty well done, I think. Yeah. Well, it's funny, too, because like the Torelli character to me is just one of those guys who's like he's somehow survived at this point doesn't necessarily mean that he was good or useful or anything. He's just like like Torelli would be the guy who like runs the hitters or something. Right. Where he's just like, you know, I'm the guy who goes and hurts people and gets shit done, but not necessarily because he's super useful to Marcone's you know, vision. Right. Like, obviously, it's the mafia hurting people as part of what they do. That's why they're the bad guys. But like. You know, Marcone does just as much above board with business, and Torelli is not the guy that's working for the police so that he can siphon off information, right? You know, he's not one of the top level spies or whatever. So, so I have the impression he, that he runs drugs, but I don't know if I just imagine that that he's like the drug runner. Okay, 
Yeah, it could be. So so he's this, you know, big deal street level guy decides he's going to come and, and try and, you know, start reining in some of Marcone's other interests, like, you know, his executive whorehouse, you know. Uh, so he, he shows up to get the passwords and account numbers and everything like that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Thomas and Harry intervene, you know, and Harry can beat up mafia thugs all day, you know, so relative power level, you know, they, they basically don't even do anything hardly. They just rough them up a little bit. Not till later anyway. Right, right. Where do they go next? They went to next. the safe house that Beckett yep. told them the location of and found oh, right. guard putting her intestines back inside. Super fun moment, yeah. <laughs> so, so you get that, you know, guard. Was, was she using the staple gun at this no, point? No, she's using glue because glue. she said she saw it on a werewolf movie. Right, which I thought was also great. You know, I I'm not sure actually. Yeah, that's it's an extra reference. I'm, are you? I'm really, really sure. Well, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> it's probably like a Hammer film, which I'm aware of their existence, but I don't necessarily like have watched them all and committed them to memory. So. But uh, Marvel more Dresden references. I know, right? I will. I will endeavor next time. There's a pop culture reference I don't get. I will. I'll work on that in the Dresden files. Anyway, boy, that'd be a lot of references. So, so you show up. Uh, uh, Hendrix and Guard are the only ones here uh, because they were the only ones that made it into the safe house with Marcone. For whatever reason, the Denarians didn't take them. It occurs to me right now. I'm like, that's kind of interesting. Because they'll so, have they wanted guard um, to get, yeah, they want guard to get Harry to get I the see. archive and all that. Uh, good, good points. Yeah. So, so the they're the Denarians are layering out their plan and everything like that. Tessa attacks with Magog and a couple others. Um, was Thorn and Amshiel in this one? Was he yep. part of this crew? I don't think yeah, so. No. Okay, because I I know he shows up at the aquarium. Oh, no, just yeah, trying he's, to get, he's in the book, right? <laughs> yeah, he's he's in the book for sure. But this this one was great because you get another White Knight retro reference where Harry basically uses the chain with a plug on the end of it, throws it at Tessa, who grabs it and is so proud of herself for being so smart as he immediately uses uh, what I'm assuming is Earth magic to shove it in the socket and, <laughs> and basically light her up. Uh, and then Guard, who's, you know, shoving her guts back in, uh, starts going to town. Uh, what I forget what her weapon of choice was. Was she assault rifle at this point? You know, basically just unloads into Tessa. Uh, yeah, so. And then Tessa explodes into tiny bugs? Right, because that's one of her things. So they, they tried to parlay with Dresden, but he's kind of, you know, fallen for that enough times or never really did. But now he's definitely not fucking listening. Um, Thomas kills, it's, it's not Magog, he kills one of the other ones, right? Yeah, and one of the named ones and never showed up again, I think. Right. Makes off with his coin and then they have a nice cute little moment of, oh god, it's a fucking coin, don't touch it, as I put it in the glove box because I've got nothing else to do with it. Akariel, uh, that's the one they, that Thomas killed. Right. Whoever, he didn't have a, a name to host, but... Right. Um, yeah, so they, they have a, a pretty good talk about uh, how, you know, Thomas thinks that he'd be uh, he'd be able to resist the Fallen's temptation. And Dresden's like, no, I've got one word for you, Justine, you know, like, which is You'd the same. Able to just Justine again. Yeah, we better get rid of this. <laughs> right. 
which ironically is the same thing Mad basically says later, which is, you know, I'll, maybe I'll just get tired of your shit and recruit your brother. He's in love. That's mortal enough for me. So just kind of interesting in its own right. That's so probably where Harry has been the most, like, okay, not the most, because the most probably when he's, when he's like holding a gun to her head. Well, <clears throat> that's one of the points where he's been the most assertive, like, get the fuck off my brother, bitch. With Mab, you mean? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so from here, they go to Michael's place, which is just like a total shit show waiting to happen. Uh, and basically, they put him out in the garage, right? So in the shed, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Sorry. I guess I assumed that there's like six people in this place. So it, it always struck me as like a larger structure or something. But yeah, it's uh, a work shed. It's his work, right. like workshop, right? Right. So uh, so they get everybody there plus Sonia now because Sonia just happened to be coming into Chicago, just happened to get snowed in and just happened to know somebody who would be able to put him up for you know a couple of days or whatever. So so now we've got two of the knights to counter the Denarians, plus Dresden's got the sword, and uh, the you know the plot thickens. Um, from here, he that's when he calls in Lucio, correct, and then they contact the archive. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, guard basically talks him into getting the archive involved because uh, it, you know Harry's worked with the archive in the past, and Marcone is a signatory of the Accords because he's uh, a freeholding lord. So guard asks him to issue the challenge on their behalf. Well, it was his choice to bring in. She just wanted the the challenge met. They knew he would pick the archive because he's Harry and he's a creature of habit. Right, right. From so from here, do we go straight to the uh, train station or no? No, he goes to meet Murphy at Max. Oh yes. yes. All right, so so they go to Max. Uh, he fills Murphy in on everything up to this point, etc. They they have their conversation, and I believe it starts ending up with Murphy being like, "I can't help you because you know I still have a job." And no, you know, the opposite. Murphy's saying, "This is my town, my authority, and I'm going like to put always. in." And he <laughs> says, "No, because they're too big." Oh and yes, tiny. this is where he this is where he reminds her about the uh, you know the. the the lukewarm terrorist from the airport a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah, that too. Just that and the other thing. Yeah, and exactly. she makes the offer that she could, you know, make this a terrorist threat, and he considers it. But then he's like, actually, a pretty pivotal moment in the book here because in the series, because if rough the rough hadn't come in there, she would have pulled in everything like full mortal. It probably would have been pretty bad. Right. I'm. Maybe. I mean, from what we've seen, you know, in Full Moon, if it was that level of response, then yes, it would have been bad. But I, I'm still waiting to see what they bring to bear in Peace Talks because, you because know. everything will be there in Peace Talks. But, I mean, specifically, I think we know that the FBI is going to be involved. We specifically know that there are government level spooks. So is this going to, is he going to pull like an X-Files where they're like a subset of the FBI or are they their own thing? Like the mortals... Ha- in general, like if you take it from the big picture view, they have some kind of response, you know, for for this sort of thing. And I just had a different thought. So, um, well, a, a, a different character I'd like to see brought back for that sort of thing. But you guys 
anyway, um, so so Tiny shows up in the bar. They have this nice conversation about how Tiny's basically there because you've hurt my brothers and you employed the bane against them because nails are bad. Okay, and uh, you know they plus it's his job. I really like how the whole the tiny is literally like he's like you were trying to kill me and he says he's just he's not phased that's not a good enough reason <laughs> right use <laughs> iron trying to kill me <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, and then Murphy gets in his face because tiny basically does the whole like let's step outside and settle this uh, you know moment and uh, she goes down the list of like well you know like I'm not a signatory of the accords but Dresden is a Chicago citizen and I am sworn to protect him so. You know, maybe you should do the math on that, and then you should do the math on what steel jacketed hollow points feel like as they enter your body. And he's like, "We'll deal with this later." So, and Mac was so happy that he gave them special beer because all the descriptions of <laughs> Tiny being so big in the bar room of like his horns gouging into the ceiling, and he flicked an ear, and napkins several tables away started falling off tables. Right. He broke multiple uh, fans, you know, so like two or three of the fans out of his 13. So. Even though Mac tried to stop them. Right. Yeah. All right. So, so from there, what's next? Burger King council. Okay. So they do their war council. And then they get Torelli's hitters come after them. They, they yeah, want after comments is out playing Harry. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So. So. Yeah. Though at at the war council, uh, correct me. I mean, I I don't remember a ton of stuff happening, but basically they give Thomas the little clay figurine that turns him into Harry. And right. It's, all, it's basically giving him everyone the rundown of what the Denarians are and why this is going down. Right. And then Molly ends up having to put makeup on Thomas to make him look like a raccoon because Harry's already getting his ass kicked, of course. And mm-hmm. they give him his duster and a few other things. Uh, Murphy, Smart move. right? Murphy and Harry are uh, driving someplace I can't remember. Back when, to Michaels. Okay, when the hitters catch up with them, the, mm-hmm. this one was notable to me just because we had talked about some things that that had happened, which was like Harry uses wind against them, uh, so uh, that was kind of interesting. And then he also uses his little ball of sunshine to you know get some information out of the guy about who's coming after them and why and you know, all of that stuff. Um, okay, apparently I can't mile post today, but I can fill in all the details. So what's next? <laughs> next is um, the train station. Well, it's well, talking no, to guard about yeah. who knew so what. Oh, right. They make their way back to Michael's and they talk to guard. It's like, you have information, you need to give it to me. And she puts up a fight up until Hendrix says, it's okay, tell him. Right. And then she tells him more about the safe room and all things that were... Uh, built and eventually leads to Dresden's blood, uh, the blood box thing and the union station. Right. Well, because she, she tells, she tells him about the safe house and everything like that. And then Harry's like, okay, I need everybody else to leave. And, you know, Hendrix like stops sharpening his knife or cleaning his gun or whatever. And like walks out of the room. Cause he, he does these all at different points in time. And then he's like, okay, now help me track Marcone down. And she's like, whatever are you talking about? And it's like, you have an insurance policy. Like you've got blood on, on everybody just in case it starts coming down on you. I'm sure of it. And so she tells him about the, the, uh, the locker at the train mm-hmm. station. And don't have anything you care about in front of it when you open it. 
which won't ever come back again. It's a really yeah. weird throwaway line. So, so then they go to the train station, right? Because mm -hmm. everything's got to happen at the same time. So you've got uh, you know Lucio and the archive just happen to be showing up when the Merc gets sprung and they get attacked by Hobbs, which are winter critters. Yeah. Uh, and so you get kind of a repeat of uh, a proven guilty, where basically everything goes dark and. I mean, they did I miss like a general mayhem type of thing? Like, obviously, you get the whole moment where they attack them in the ticket booth or whatever, but it's a train station. Like, what happened to all the other people? There were around. Well, very few people because it was because of the weather. Ah, yeah, okay. it was already deserted. There was just a few people that got apparently stuck due to the weather and the trains, and those were the people who were getting attacked at the ticket booth. And then there's one janitor named Joe who's just walking around. That's totally not Uriel. No. Right, because that's Jake, right? Jake is you know, Except, later. Yeah. Why is Joe being mentioned? Because Harry talks about how he's been going back and forth through the train station for the Paranet. No, so no, no, no. It seems suspicious to me. Be uh, because of the issue that they, they, the fact that when they go there to get Gar's box is when there's a Knight of the Cross and Ivy needs help and the Hobbs. It's too suspicious. Like Uriel's doing something to make sure it happened that way to make sure Ivy would be okay. This is at least the way I took it. I the the main thing that makes me hesitate on your suggestion there is the fact that like wh what tipped the scales to allow Uriel to act? You know, like what would allow Uriel to intervene? Beyond attempting to take away Ivy's free will so he can allow his knight to attempt to keep her safe. There's no Denarian influence there, though. That's that's all Mab. Mab is maybe trying to kill her, maybe trying to abduct her. That doesn't matter to them. Which, I mean, I guess that's, that brings up an interesting point, too. If Ivy had died for some reason, what the hell would have happened? I mean, the archive would have just been unmade at that point, right? Because there is no chain? Well, it, presumably you would think that it goes to the next closest blood relative if they had some kind of common sense when they made this. <laughs> right. But it's possible they didn't. Well, I, if, if Mab was behind the Hobbs, which I always felt a bit uh, conflicted about, then maybe she just wants to keep Ivy out of the hands of the Denarians for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Well, that was, I mean, Harry, Harry's the one who's, who jumps to, oh, they were trying to kill her, but... Ivy herself later says, well, they could have just been trying to abduct me. And, you know, Mab could have easily just been trying to get her off the board in right. that respect. Right. Which, I mean, yeah, I'm assuming the the only problem I have with that theory is that the Hobbs seem pretty stupid. You know, like they seem they were going to make off with her. It's not like they were going to hold her for ransom. You know, they were probably going to take her, eat her, or, you know, whatever else Hobbs do. So... I don't think, like, no matter how big that hob army was, they would have gotten a, like, wouldn't have gotten to her. Well, that's fair too. I mean, Kincaid, he he wouldn't have been able to do too much though, because as Lucio mentions, if I hadn't seen him go through security, I wouldn't have ridden with him, uh, because you know she knows his but reputation. Ivy might have demolished them. Yeah, definitely. Ivy, you know, would have been able to throw down potentially. Well, so. the other possibility is that's why you send a weak guard. You just Essentially, you scare Ivy off, even if she knows she can handle them. Her archive uh, survival nature is going to kick in, and she may just leave town. 
right. and then problem solved again. Right, right. So the the uh, whole train thing, the the train station, very cool moments. I mean, you get them locked in. A miracle yeah. worker, you get a lousy miracle. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you, you get them locked in the ticket booth. You get Michael. Uh, you get to see him be a carpenter. So I I love <laughs> just a little reference where he just kind of like he puts his thumb up like this, like he's judging where the stud would be, and then rams the sword through the drywall and and kills a hob. You know. Um, so is you, it in this book or one of the last couple of books where I, where Michael has to go through come visits Harry and he sees what Harry did to his store and he's like, This is shoddy craftsmanship. It's this one. because uh, that that happens right after yeah, right after this. So um yeah, so you get you get some moments like that. You get some nice night of the living dead, you know, them trying to like smash their way through the walls and and door and everything like that. Um, you know, you get Harry get smart again. Um, this this is again thaumaturgy, I believe, where he basically busts off one of the uh, one of the sprinkler heads, and then yeah, uh, like, we, like to like, right? That's thaumaturgy, right? Um, we we didn't mention it earlier with the uh, with the first set of gruffs. He very clearly had his blasting rod, but mysteriously, I we have don't a question. Okay, uh -uh. he uses a lighter to kick off the sprinkler system and uses thaumaturgy to link the, the sprinklers. And when he remembers the blasting rod, all of his other fire magic comes back to him, but he used the facey melty sun thingy. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think it's too new and Map didn't know about it. That's why he can use it. It's still <laughs> fire. I mean, yeah, yeah. well, that's yeah, the other thing. She had it's to not... know what she was looking for to remove, right? And she well, knows- It's not like she went through his head and was like specifically, okay, Fuego Pyros, you know, Fuego Pyro, Fuego, and <laughs> delete, delete, taking out all delete, individual delete. spells. He's just taking away his general memory of fire. And I think the reason the little ball of sunshine can stay is because the way he's using it, even though it is fire technically, he's using it as a, both a light source and not as active fire. So it's like- it's, it skirts the line just enough where maybe, because he says himself, he can't really call up a big one, partly because of the Merc and partly because... But she takes away the, the memory is. of fire with the idea that Summer is going to track him by his like energy type now that they are familiar with it and he imputes Summer's fire with it. Right. Which they do. <sighs> right. Because Tiny shows up right after he uses it in the like, train station. But Literally in a completely minutes. different section of Chicago. Because he no. did the... He did the well, sunshine ball near Michael's house, and then they go down to downtown to Union Station. But then he does it again, right? So, but but he didn't do it there. No, he used a lighter against the the sprinklers. Against the sprinklers, but he calls up the little ball of sunshine to um to see at first. Did he? Mm hmm. Because the Merc was shutting down the electricity, so the only things that were working were basically Michael's sword. And his little ball of sunshine, and that's and right after that he says the Russian miracle worker. You get lousy miracle wine. Is right after that. Okay, continue while I find it. <laughs> right. So, so, but it it's all it is all interesting along the same lines, right? I so, think he use lighter actually. Hmm? I don't think he uses a lighter. Ah. No, he definitely used the lighter against the, the okay. sprinklers. He just talks about how it gets so hot that it's like getting, like, he was starting to burn through his glove and his scarred hand. I'm like, can a lighter really make a sprinkler head that hot? Oh, no, he did. He used the little ball of sunshine to make the sprinklers go off. Yeah, right. What? I poured yeah. all the energy I could into the little ball of sunshine, which suddenly had several dozen sprinkler heads to absorb its energy instead of only one. Right. Yeah. 
That's why, because he ramped it up. He ramped up the little ball of sunshine, and now it's like a proper fire spell. So that's where Tiny comes this time, as opposed to when he's just using it out in the middle of a blizzard for close range threatening. And it also it also might be as much as you know they they had two blips instead of just one because Mister is still running around doing his little Chicago thing. I forget yeah. when he stops doing that uh, because at some point Harry does go back and like Mister's all passed out, right? Yeah, that was during the Burger King War Council because Molly commented on it. Okay, so it was before this though. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, there is yeah. the prospect that when he does it the first time, he's out in the middle of a literal blizzard, so you have winter, quote-unquote, potentially mm, stymieing think, the senses of it. He also just yeah. might have not had enough time to get to him before he got to the safety or Michael's house. That's true. Right. Well, it's yeah. possible, but I mean, he literally shows up at the end of the chapter after he does this ball of sunshine, so it's not like he has that much problem with speed. Yeah, but they were he right next to Michael's house. Like, it literally, from he uses that, so they go to Michael's house, we're talking minutes, if that much? Right, but what I'm saying is, at that point, Tiny, it doesn't, you know, it's not like Michael has angelic protection yet. If Tiny wanted to show up, he could have. I'm pretty sure it's going based like on that break. logic. Right. It, it is an interesting question, and it is worth pointing out, you know, kind of, it does feel like a discrepancy, and I hadn't really caught it yet, and that we were having this conversation pre-show, which was like, when did Harry and Michael have that conversation? But it's not until much, much later after the um, the aquarium. So so he definitely shouldn't have knowledge of his fire spells right now. I'm sure, sure there's a good explanation. It sounds like something we need to put down for episode 77 for when we get him back on the show, Director Goff, you know. Weird. You're the keeper of those questions, right? So Yeah, somewhere. <laughs> so um, so we have that moment. We have we have him fight Tiny. Um, there's there's a, a, some great references about it not being a Tom and Jerry cartoon and uh, um, it's Roadkill 101, right? Where basically, you know, Tiny is just so huge and so massive that all he could do is run. Um, he does put the hurt on him a little bit. I'm trying to remember. Oh, he he got the. Who's Benjamin? Yeah, yeah, he got the uh, he got the Hobbs to attack Tiny and start roughing mm -hmm. up, roughing him up. They even gouged out one of his eyes, didn't they? And then uh, basically, he got free of the the Hobbs, chased Harry to you know to where the uh, the locker. Yeah, the locker was, and then Harry uses Guard's Ward basically to blow Tiny into the next dimension, practically. Um, yeah, I mean, Tiny know. ends up surviving it, but his leg's all blown off and he's all fucked up and everything. And then he like melts into the ground saying, you know, my brother will avenge me. And he's like, come on, another one? You would, you yeah. would spare me, Winterbound? Right. Yeah, like, we're not, I'm not a bad guy. Hello? And, and I mean, Should have showed him his wrist. He doesn't have his tattoo. <laughs> right. That that was one thing that I liked about the tiny character is like obviously like he he shows up he's the bruiser whatever but like his whole thing he's very honorable right everything's you know the thou honor you know blah 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 and then he gets his ass kicked you know thanks to guard you know I guess so I want to see guard really go for it someday well you Speaking do about the oh, short story wasn't enough right no thing we kind of missed. Uh, Hendrix is way higher, possibly Macomb second, which I didn't think he was. I thought they were close, and he was this. Yeah, he's pretty, but he's pretty much pretty much been his right hand man, command, right? 
Yeah, they were in the Marines since together. the beginning. He's been his right. He's been there literally since. Yeah, just from. because you're his, like you've been in the Marines together, and you're like he's close, a personal bodyguard because they can trust each other. It doesn't mean that Hendrix is high up in the organization power wise. Sure. It, and Hendrix was like actually a, like, like a conciliary, in like it's like can be uh, like it's a, the advisor to the to the to the Don or or uh, Marcone in this case, but that doesn't mean they like they get respect, but they don't have like necessarily a lot of power in a mafia structure. But it's okay. Guard is like if if Hendrix says he can talk, that's like that's a, that's good enough. Well, it's not like Guard would ever be able to outrank him. I mean, she could outrank other people, but she's still an outsider. She's hired help, so she's not gonna. But she's magically bound. It felt I felt like she cannot talk until Hendrix says it's okay. No, I feel like it's not magic. She she's not a. Yeah, she's not a fan. yeah, he's, he's just cautious. I I wouldn't put it past I wouldn't put it past Vatarunga have put like a Gaius on her to to be like you follow. She's like you know, I can't, not won't. Right. Can't. Right. It, it does kind of feel it does kind of feel like a similar vein as to what Lily and Fix deal with with the summer yeah. court. So but I, I feel like the explanation's a little bit easier. Like regardless of where Hendrix winds up in the power structure, he's gotta be pretty high up there anyway, because he's physically so close to Marcone, knows you know, he's one of three people basically who knows where his you know, four people on the outside who knows where his safe house is. But also, I'm sure Marcone has a provision that it's like, in case I get incapacitated, he is in charge of my physical security. <laughs> you know, so you fucking listen to Hendrix. So, you know, the fact that Marcone is missing puts Hendrix and Guard in charge of trying to get Marcone back. So, um, you know, like, he doesn't have to be his second, but, I mean, he takes Hendrix everywhere, literally, so... I would well, also, I think that's part of the reason Torelli even shows up in the first place, because Hendrix and Guard are AWOL. If they were around, there's no way in hell he would have made that move. Sure. Well, I think Guard would have been smart enough to to be like Marcone <laughs> is indisposed, but you know he he's not missing. Of course not. That'd be ridiculous. You know, she would never let that sort of thing slide. Because part of what I like about her character is that she is so concerned about you know how it makes her employer look. You know, which is very professional for that that sort of thing as well. But. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, let's face it, Marcone is an extension of Adirung at this point, so what reflects on really? uh, him at some point is... Yeah. Why you gotta put it that way? Because now we've got Marcone and Vatarung and Rashid are the same person. Because you've and never seen them at the same place it. at the same time. No, we don't have to do that. If you bring it up, that's your problem. I ignore those things. Because <laughs> they're not valid. Prove it. What if Vatarung goes back in time and Marcone and gets a tan? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they don't have sunscreen back in the the 400 AD. Come on now. So Listen, I'm sure they have a very. I'm sure they have camaraderie. I'm sure they have a working relationship in general, being in similar fields. I'm sure the whole eye thing is is symbolism. Right. That doesn't mean he's him. They've got jackets because of Team Eye Patch, them and Nick Fury. So, you know, just be like, we all got eye patches. How cool are we? All right. So he gets the blood. Uh, they try the tracking spell. It doesn't work predictably, right? Because the Denarians mm -hmm. 
throw it all off. Except he doesn't do that yet because next is the uh, next is the actual meeting, right? Well, like he, or no, be, everyone no, piles in the mic trust frozen. Yeah, yeah. so never really sucks, right? So yeah, you missed the whole, uh, uh, almost missed the whole Harry threatening to kill Kincaid and mm-hmm. pretending he was going to pull a gun on him, which he doesn't, and Kincaid acquiesces, but you know wouldn't have, have under other between you and my captain. I know who to whom I'm going to bid aloha. Right, which yeah, it was like the third reference to Kincaid in Hawaii at this point. Yeah, um, <laughs> and then Andreas's wifey makes the pass at Harry, right, for the first time, man. Don't don't like read like reading these last couple of books. Don't I know, tell painful, me because you know where it's gonna go. Like, don't tell me that you don't that it doesn't like it works. <laughs> <laughs> it was a nice fling. Coulda shoulda woulda, but right. Could have been so good. Um, yeah, so they so they are all freezing. Uh, everybody gets in the cab of the truck except for Harry and Mouse. Uh, and then this is where uh, Michael has that whole like, you know amateur work putting in the door comment we were talking about earlier so mm. uh so yeah lucio makes a pass at harry because she's been mind warped so that makes it gross and uncool in 2019 andreas that doesn't make it romantic or anything like that just so we're clear um i, mean, I just thought it worked like the relationship would work i thought they were good for each other well, I think that's part of why the spell worked, you know, like there are multiple factors that go into it, but, you know, like subliminal messaging, like it mostly works because you already had that idea in you in the first place. So it wasn't exactly like a domination. It was a suggestion that, you know, her defenses were lower and she kind of part of her wanted it anyway and whatever. So it's just like, you know, it, it was a nudge more than anything else. It was just, at least built on genuine affection and respect for Dresden. Well, yeah, sure. she says as much as the end of the, next, yeah. of the next book. Right. There was something to build on. It was just, maybe I could have, but not right. anymore. Yeah, so fuck Peabody for ruining my ship. <laughs> Peabody's the only reason your ship happened. Right. It would have happened without happened. Peabody. They were meant for each other. <laughs> no. Her duty would have prevented her just like it prevented Morgan. Yeah. I mean, come on. If if any if anybody, yeah. Any, anyway, um, I can't think of a PC way to say that next part, so we'll just leave that off. So, um, anyway, so you you get that whole thing. You get Thomas go for the high five to Harry, and then find out that Harry still screws it up. Um, Next is the aquarium, pretty much, mm-hmm. or is there? Okay, so you go to the aquarium. Uh, you you get the a lot of the same kind of dual stuff, like uh, Kincaid and and uh, Ivy are there early to prepare the area. Um, you know, you you get uh, circle a block and look for a footpath. So because the employees are going to go in, and a nice comment about how you know the uh, marine biologists aren't doing it for the money. Yeah. Um, Jim definitely took a trip to Chicago to write this book because he's described the Shed Aquarium in a bit too much accuracy if he hadn't actually been in that room. It's the same thing with Union Station. Like, he kept comparing it to the Untouchables movie. It's like, he definitely did a trip specifically to that. And I think I remember him in one of the tour for Skin Game. He mentioned, like, going to the Shed Aquarium and tapping on the glass. Like, how much force would it take to break this? How much water is in that? And people got upset. Right. And then law enforcement was called. <laughs> it's a very hairy type of story. So, yeah, he's like, oh, I, I should include this. Uh, yeah. So uh, basically you get Dresden and um, 
butthead Nicodemus talking. Um, so, you know, like Nicodemus wants to talk to uh, Harry alone for a minute. They work it out so that happens. And then halfway through the conversation, Harry realizes that he's being an idiot and that Nicodemus is. Yeah. Nicodemus is stalling. The conversation between Harry and, and, and Michael. Happens? That happens. Yeah, no, that happens after. Yeah. Oh, no, there's yeah. another important one where Harry is basically willing to die to protect Michael's beliefs, and Michael can't. Like, he's got a hard time processing that. Mm. That's important. Isn't that yeah. still next? Yeah, that's still after this. No, no, they talk about it before the meeting, where it's, uh, I'm pretty damn sure it's before the meeting. Okay. Oh, maybe you're right. Maybe you're, yeah, yeah because there's a conversation um, that. Because he talks to Sonia afterward. He's like, he doesn't uh -huh. understand why you're doing that. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. You confused him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so elaborate for everybody not on our wavelength. <laughs> oh, that was, uh, was it Harry lied to Lucio to get her to bring in the oh. archive? So, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a, yeah, that was before. Yeah. But because Michael knew that he lied, he felt uncomfortable, but he's putting himself at deadly risk so that Michael doesn't have to. Right. Right. Uh, he basically, he puts himself at risk of getting punished, maybe even like getting killed, so Michael doesn't have to compromise his ethics. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Which, I, I mean, what's funny is, like, I don't recall it being brought up here, but what I was thinking this time around is that if Harry gets killed because of his ethics, so does Molly. So don't do me any favors, Harry. Like, <laughs> you know, like, come that on. That doesn't get brought up, but I thought the same. Right. There is that. Yeah, so... I thought I think he mentions Molly. It's just not his main um, focus at that point. Right. Uh, so meanwhile, back at the aquarium, Harry realizes that it's a trap. Moments before the trap gets sprung, uh, you see Kincaid running around like a ghost spider monkey, which is fantastic. And you know, Kincaid takes out like four of the Denarians, and I think Harry takes out like two. Uh, at one point, when Harry is on the ground. Kincaid had lined up a shot, so he did two headshots with one bullet right. to two different denarians. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you get. Well, and they make a point of saying that. Um, I think it's Tessa who says it, or or Deirdre who says it, that um, you know, calling him the Hellhound and how he's hunted them before. You know, the bad runs before with Kincaid. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, and just Nicodemus also insulted, like, not even the Hellhound would stop me if I wanted to kill you or something when they're doing their face off. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he has that antagonistic line with the where he where he basically throws that crossing your heart thing that Ivy did the first time we meet her back in Kincaid's face. Hmm. Okay. You know, I when just, when, when they meet the first time, and she's like, you know, do you promise? You know, Pinky's uh, cross your heart, and she crosses her heart about um, when they're talking about the duel with Ortega. And so, at the when they're having the conversation right before Nicodemus and Dresden have their little face off, you know, she goes, uh, "You know, trust me about your mistress's honor, or whatever." And then he does cross my heart to Kincaid. Interesting. You know, since he's got his, um, that's the other book they where they first show up in his death masks, and he. We later find out that Anduriel's listening in on conversations left and right. So, I like it. Now that's super subtle. Yeah. Wow. So that's actually a hint to Nicodemus being able to listen in to people, mm -hmm. right? 
Yeah, it's um, I, yeah. We don't find that out obviously later until skin game. But yeah, now once once you find that out, you see these little things potentially as, oh well, the other two books he's involved in and these two references, maybe he's been listening in the whole time. Wow. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I know what you did to Cassius in the hotel room. God, my face be red. Hey. <laughs> he was probably like watching front row seat with popcorn for Shadow. He's like, oh yeah. I always hated that Cassius guy. Yeah, guy, go for the knees, Tris. Well, that and, and I mean, I don't think Nicodemus gave a fuck. That's part of why they threw Cassius out. You know, he he was probably just like, "Why didn't you kill him? Now I'm gonna have to do it." You know. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he basically he throws him away like trash. That's what essentially Cassius says later um, in Deadbeat. Right. I mean, he pretty much says as much. Right. So aquarium. One of the coolest sequences in the series, in my opinion, you know, the whole Harry and Kincaid running around being ninjas, ganking Denarians. You see Harry accidentally employ Soulfire for the first time. Uh, he he made Thorn and Namshiel half the Denarian he used to be. Um, you see them use their giant uh, pentagram again uh, to cut off uh, the, the whole aquarium, basically with Hellfire. It's a giant circle, basically, to cut Ivy off from magic. All of it. Um, Dresden, because he got kind of the drop slash early warning slash pieced it together, was able to, to pull in a bunch of of uh, energy is how mm -hmm. he's able to, to just kind of run around. So you get some nice little moments with him, like humming with power that he's just holding on to and, you know, uh, the, some of those consequences. But Ivy did the same thing because she had anticipated the trap, I guess. Um, so you get to see her actually kind of not even really cut loose, but you get to see her in action for the first time. So, you know, she's holding off what, like six of the Denarians, you know, basically, and, uh, makes some nice little witty comments about, uh, Tessa and, you know, knowing where she comes from and her family and be like, I, I have the bill of sale, you know, or, or no, the, I have the return on investment of your, uh, your education or whatever it is, you know, it's. Such I can a, draw you graphs. Yeah, so I can draw you a graph. I in crayon. I like crayon. <laughs> right. It's such a great like low and high ding at the same time, right? Because it's like I'm I'm a literal child, but I'm going to make you feel like one. Uh, you know. So, uh, so at, at this point, the, the archive has to be old enough that it's self aware too. That self aware that it's making fun. Yeah, it's snark. That's snark. I don't. She has the entire history of snark in her brain. Yeah. That, that's true, but I <laughs> yeah. want to make sure it's snark. I, I don't. Yeah. Eleven-year-olds start to be self-aware that you know I'm not a little kid anymore. Sure as hell, I have attitude about it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So. And, <clears throat> yeah, so and I, I think this whole sequence, I actually don't really like small favor all that much. But this oh, sequence is fantastic, and the rest of the book is great. Is that why you haven't been talking? Because right. well, I didn't want to interrupt too, but I've also been on the chat. Well, I'm yeah. glad you did. Can you get, can you keep being quiet now? <laughs> <laughs> you don't like small heart. favor. It's like when people say they like ghost story. Both of these opinions are wrong. <laughs> right. and I'm, never I'm be factually hard. correct about describing my opinion. My opinion <laughs> might be wrong, but I'm not wrong about my Terrible opinion. opinion. Yeah. Anyway, so continue, Mr. Justin. Uh, so... Uh, basically, it culminates. You know, she she fights with Denarians. She kind of blasts a couple, right? As a as a warning. Initially, um, she basically like evaporated one of them. It's like oh, so um, 
Yeah, they, like their heads are just gone. Uh, blast Deidre into a water tank, and then she needed to swim out, and was all pissed off. Yeah, that was Harry. Oh, was Harry. The, okay. Yeah, he like okay. steps out from the bush, and is like really angry that they're gonna use Kincaid against her. Right. And then, like blasts her across the water. And then turns out that he he's the booby. Then, then, so. he, then and then he realizes she also likes me. Right. Yeah. Yep. Like. Oh, guess what? Like many plans, it has multiple layers, so yeah. shit. You know, he, he steps in it as much as he was worried about Kincaid and everything. So, um, But the, the beauty of it is that one of the other layers that he didn't anticipate or realize was that they had gassed the place. So, uh, It is so scary that if it wasn't for that gas, even magically cut off, the archive would have held out in one. Probably, yeah. Yeah, and she, they probably knew that, and that's why they built a plan to attack the child, not the archive. Yeah, right. Well, and that's—I mean, it's—it's it's just it's all layers, right? So they—they they set it up. The the real thing is that they set it up so that they could not lose. That Nic Nicodemus was going Sumerian to be cut tradition. off. Yeah, Nicodemus was going to be cut off outside with Dresden. Kincaid would have been inside with like a dozen of the Denarians, right, and the archive. And even if they had lost because they had already popped the gas, Nicodemus would have just come in and cleaned up afterwards with whatever was left of his retinue. You know, so that that was the thing. They they had set it up so that even if it went pretty much all the way sideways, which it just about did, they still were going to win. Um, which I mean, that that's part of what I like about the Denarians is that they they don't feel like super cliche comic book villains. Like, obviously, there's a fair bit of camp involved there at times. But, like, Nicodemus is, like, proper scary at moments, right? Where it's just, like, Dresden comes up with some plan. He's going to get away with whatever. And then Nicodemus is like, dude, I'm 2,000 years old. I thought of that. Not only have I thought of that, I've beaten the last 13 people to try it. <laughs> you know, like, so you you just get crazy moments like that. So Harry, Harry tries to run off with Ivy doesn't make it. He blasts, um, you know, one of the, one of the uh, glass aquariums, which is why it's important to know how much force it takes to break one of those things. Uh, I'm a writer. It's research. Right. Uh, yeah. He, he drowned, he drowned at least one or two of them, uh, two more of yeah. the Marians, but they managed to make off with the little girl. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and he wakes up uh, mouth to mouth. Was it with Murphy? Yeah. Um, and he spits dolphin water into her face when she had done Kool-Aid in uh, the something borrowed. I think it was a short story with the, the wedding. Right. Or um, yeah. Because it was Billy and yeah. George's wedding. Right. And right. Georgia had been kidnapped. So yeah, something borrowed. Yeah, right, right, um, right. And then all the dolphins are like either Team Dresden or anti Denarian, or or maybe Uriel's a dolphin. <laughs> Jake the dolphin. Sure. Yeah. Does he have a little mustache? I like how the dolphins held out. Mm -hmm. They're actually, right. He's like the dolphins are pretty smart. They're like over. Oh, <laughs> hello, yeah. yeah, Denarians. That's pretty good. Yep. Uh, so you ask listeners to win about that. About the dolphins? Yeah. How, how smart are dolphins? It's, it's actually... So 
among the universities that listen to when gets his PhDs from, one of them is a Dolphin University. So yeah, they're actually excellent doctors. But anyway, <laughs> so so from the aquarium, uh, things get murky again. So I mean, basically, Harry gets pissed off. Of course, they have another war council, don't they? Harry's going to use blood to track them finally, and then realizes, duh, Nicodemus has thought of that because you know he's lived for two thousand years, and you're an idiot. Um, um, I think you're skipping over things. What did I skip? Well, like, oh, so they, they go from the aquarium back to Michael's place and they find yep. out that they have all of the excess coins and Michael's getting happy. Maybe right. everything will be done. Yep. yep. And he can build houses. Imagine right. coaching Little League. And then mm -hmm. immediately he gets done in a different play. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, you don't believe in the mission anymore, you're out. And, and there was a highlight little moment of... Harry was talking about his staff because Sonia had saved it. It's like, yeah, it's really hard to carve one of those, not like one of the, oh, whatever else I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. And forget oh, yes. the blasting rod. Goes to sleep on the couch and wakes up to Molly saying someone's messed with his head. Yep. Right. So well, we don't hear that, but, but we find yeah. out later that's what she said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In this in this moment, he doesn't hear the words, but he says, listen to the kid. She's right. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you basically get to tie this in later, you know, when Murphy tells him about what was going on and catching him up is that Molly knew somebody had knocked with his head because, you know, she's like that and she knows what that looks like and everything. And she said, listen for what he says when he wakes up, because it, that'll be him trying to get through his subconscious getting through. And he says, listen to the kid. She's right. <laughs> While they're out of talking about. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then this is a small detail about that as well. You noticed in in the fight, I think it is. Think he tries to think about his blasting lord, and he goes like, "Ow!" and then gets distracted and thinks about something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when he was thinking of carving it as well, he kind of just had the moment of a headache and stopped thinking about it. And that's what it is. Like, yes. He's like, like carved kind of like my, and then it's ow, and then he thinks about something else. Mm -hmm. nice. I thought it was a great little detail. Yeah. yeah, I I'm not sure I had caught that. That's pretty subtle. So. So this is your. So you're right. We did skip a lot of this because the important scene with him and Michael, where basically he he goes and grabs the sword and takes Michael into the other room or into the that, shed or whatever. That happens after he talks to Nicodemus and he sets up the bargain yeah, again. All of the coins plus ah, Philopius, which right. is after he writes a note to Ivy saying we're coming for yeah. you. Yeah, uses the archive power to let her know. Right, and another clever moment because, like, he has an epiphany while he's talking about it, and he's like, "Hold on." <laughs> yep. um, when Harry goes out and talks to Nicodemus, he takes Mouse with him, and Nick is scared of Mouse. Right, he's like, "What is that? Too. How did you get one?" Yeah, yeah, and I want to see when that face-off happens. Yeah. Right, and, Dur and Duriel's the one freaking out, like, "Holy fuck!" <laughs> so, so Mouse is going to be the next Knight of the Cross. I mean, you know, <laughs> if you melt a sword down with a nail and just like make him uh, uh, some sort of canine teeth cover, or, you know, yeah. like Mother Winter's iron teeth, right? Just put it on him. Get him just a little shiv. He's just running around getting people in the. <laughs> or like a, what is it? Uh, in, um, from Dark Souls. No, in in Isle of Dogs. I don't know if any of you guys saw it, but the one guy he's got the canine tooth where it's like got bombs in it or some shit. <laughs> And it's Wes Anderson for you. Yeah, I want Dark Souls references. Sorry. So make them. Go stop. I did. 
I'm not gonna get Dark Soul. Reference, All right. Sorry. So, so he makes the deal with Nicodemus. Good point. That happens first. Uh, he offered the sword and the coins because they had like twenty of the coins on them or some nonsense. So mm -hmm. they had yeah. quite a few because there were six left. So, but they they physically had about twenty of them on them. Or right, plus the ones like last show that they had uh, collected before. Right. Yeah, because they had there were a couple that were out of play, and yeah. then. Lashiel, Luriel, Ursiel should all have been in a vault. At right. Least. Right. So well, at they, this point, they probably still are. Well, yes, they they are because otherwise, other things probably would have happened. You know, yeah. I mean, they don't show up. On, I mean, they don't give Lashiel out again until the events of changes necessitate it. Like they're like, okay, so we have someone who's willing to take this coin again now. Well, but I mean, I, the other part of it is that they don't know Lashiel's coin is taken because they assume Dresden has it or could do it. Right at this point, yes. So, yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, he goes back inside, grabs uh, Amarachius and Michael, goes out to you know the storage or whatever, uh, and they have this conversation with Harry on his knees with Michael and the sword at his throat. And basically, you know, this whole don't you trust me moment. And, you know, Michael's like, how could I, like, I know what the shadows, you know, are like, and you never get free of them. And, um, I feel like I'm really missing some of the, some of the text. So, so well, he said, uh, you then trust me for a little longer, help me a little longer. And he's like, I will, if you answer one question for me and he goes, oh, yes. okay, what happened to your blasting rod? And then Harry falls down and he starts having like, you know, a magical conniption in his head. And then Michael saves him using his holy power. Yeah, Lord. References. Right. Yeah. Have mercy upon this good man. I thought that was kind of interesting. It seemed almost like Mab was intentionally playing on Michael's tendencies and Uriel's tendencies as well. She took away his free will, but then the damage gets healed by Michael being a friend. Okay. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was him being a paladin, you know. Yeah, I thought it was people doing things according to their own natures. Yeah, yeah that's, just, that's what she does. That's what he does. Yeah, I, don't know I think she, she banked on it a little bit of that the trauma would not hurt Dresden because someone was there to heal it. I, I, I could agree yeah. that uh, throughout the whole plot, you have Mab and you have Nicodemus and you have even Marcone, maybe. Probably just Mab and Nicodemus playing, you know, three-dimensional chess, nine-dimensional chess, whatever, trying to get. But I don't know that using Michael as a pawn was part of it. Honestly, I no, that would be Uriel's game. I think, yeah, Mab would have done that shit anyway, you know, because right. she willed it. <laughs> so because yeah. she is Mab. But so. if Uriel and Michael helped Dresden heal, she wouldn't be upset about it. Right. Right. Well, I mean, let's face it. At that point. It's essentially you can have the fire back because now at this point, not only is Summer's basically biggest hitter coming in, we find out later that you know he's he just he one shots a denarian, and they don't even have to worry about fighting because Harry at this point has realized what he can get for his favor and all this shit. Right. So it's not important at this point that he necessarily needs to suppress the fire because one he's going to know not to use it because somebody took it away from him. So he's that's, and then he figures out, okay, so there was a reason for this. 
and then he doesn't use it again until he's on the island with Marcon, and he's got to have a plan anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. So the Which, rest of the conversation with Michael was about the shadow and how it's impossible to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but, then Harry calls him out for being you know, arrogant or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's like, so you're telling me that a knight or someone of the clergy was there every single time somebody gave up the coins or whatever, you know, every, every single time they had a coin, like I thought the wizards had the, had the market on arrogance or whatever his line is. So earlier in the book, Michael had pointed out that Nicodemus makes it a, a routine thing to destroy all of the information they gathered on him. Right. Uh, and, but that is going to be more difficult in the future. Well, instead, what he's probably going to do is just seed in false information. Mm. Do that fake news tactic. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Um, and likely instilling the idea that you can never, ever get rid of a shadow would be something like that. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. No, I, I like that angle, that it's, it's Nicodemus's misinformation because... You know, otherwise they'd be, you know, everybody'd be doing it. So well, to be fair, well, uh, it's ridiculously hard to do. But even then, if you had a sliver of hope, you could resist. Yeah. Uh, to, be, so. to be fair, I think Nicodemus mostly thinks it's impossible because he assumes the shadow is there. Also, that yeah, his downfall. It's like Mab and uh, Mab at the end of Ghost Story saying, "You're mine," and Uriel's words balancing it out that no, no, you aren't, because from her perspective, she's got you know, well over a millennia worth of experience saying, no, when I decide someone's mine, they're mine. Right. The, the other thing I was going to say is like, so the, the shadow thing always seemed like it was particularly harsh to, to wizards, right? Because it's not just enough. They give up the coin and the power of the coin. Harry has to forsake his power. Whereas like Sonya had to forsake only the coin because he had no power. You know, mm-hmm. right? And so I always thought there there was a particular imbalance there. Or does Sonya technically have the shadow in there still as well? And maybe just the nature of being a knight, you know, and, well, and having take, a sword. If we take, and I don't really see a reason not to, if we take what we what Lash always said at face value, once you take up the coin, the shadow reintegrates with the fallen. So once you've given up the coin, you're giving up the whole thing. Yeah. Gotcha. There's no more... Uh something yeah there's no more shadow hanging around but yeah i mean it's uh, i mean uriel pretty much says as much at the end of this book that or maybe he doesn't say as much but um it makes the most sense that the denarians you know he had to balance it out but they also gave him hellfire so uriel ends up balancing that out with soul fire because now this is power lost that the denarians gave him type deal right I mean, because there's no really logical way to um, justify Uriel giving him soul fire unless it's balancing out the loss of the hellfire, because that seems like it's extra. Described it was, not balancing out the loss of the hellfire. It's balancing out that they used like the Prince of Darkness as yeah. Uriel was countering Lucifer. Really, but with soul fire. But yeah, that's that. I mean, that's the thing. What it, the soul fire Harry uses, it doesn't counter the pentagram it doesn't no, but really it, stop any long-term investment this is like, he's allowed to do something in response only when they do something they decided to use like like the prince of darkness uses hellfire so euro can do something and he's like i could give him my 
Soulfire, maybe who knows, kind of like he did. But or I could let Harry use Soulfire. That's a better investment in the long term. I so I like this better actually. So I see what you're saying. I'm gonna raise you one. This is what allows Uriel to give up his grace in skin game. He him giving his grace to Michael is the balancing act of Lucifer powering that circle. Because Lucifer basically in in the overarching thing, he's not on God's level. He's not on the white god's power level. He's, he's on Uriel's level, right? Yes. He's an archangel level. And so Uriel gives Michael his grace and then basically has to abide by Michael's free will because mortal. And that's that's his balancing influence. That's how Uriel was able to empower it. Because I, I don't, the soul fire, hellfire thing does seem like a balance, but that seems like something at butcher's level, not necessarily like, I, I can't think of an in-universe reason why he's able to do that. Why Uriel what would care. They used, they used the Prince of Darkness Soulfire twice. The so once he gave Soulfire soul to Harry, and the other he saved for giving Michael his grace. Well, I guess that could be too. It could be <laughs> it could be both ways, you know, I suppose, but yeah. I don't know. I I thought that it made sense that he was like, you know, this has less of an impact now, but in the grand scheme of things, it balances out and it's a better investment. Because Uriel is all about the long game. Right. So, and that's that's part of why I was like, no, I like this even better because it is such a long con. It is another five books from now where he basically finally does balance out the whole Lucifer thing by, by giving his grace. And I'm not saying that's that is what happened, but I, if Maybe. we want to talk about balance, you know. Yeah, I guess I, I'm reading, rereading the last line now where it's, you got to think that maybe there's a matter of balance here. Maybe one archangel invested his strength in the situation overtly and immediately. Maybe one, another one was just quieter about it, thinking long-term. Maybe he already gave you a hand and then his right hand erupts right. into pins and needles, reminding him of the soul fire. Right. So that seems so, like it was Uriel's intent. Good call. Yeah. yeah, good call. So speaking of Hellfire, one thing we forgot to mention at the aquarium is that the aquarium conversation with Nicodemus is where Harry dropped the bomb and they talked about the Black Council. Yeah. And Nicodemus knows the organization, but he's like, okay, we'll talk about it in your parlance because you know, you're a wizard, so everything's a council to you. Um, but Nicodemus didn't realize that one of the Denarians had betrayed him, but then seems to immediately realize which one it is. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, and can be surprised, but he doesn't usually. Uh, he, he can pick up. You, on you can also way. see, like, this is also a pretty good hint. I feel like, or maybe it is a good hint. I don't know. Just maybe it's just a hint to his arrogance, but I think it's a good hint to his omnipotence. Or I don't know, omni, omni, omnipotence. Knowing or not, right. Uh, that like he gets like like there's something he didn't know and he like reacts very strongly, violently even because he he pins Harry to the wall. So, well at the end too when he finds out that you know Namshill's the one who made off with the the crown royal bag right with all the coins, and um, he mentions you know he pulled that trick before on some saint where he strangled him and. He talks about how Deirdre or Tessa are probably are on Judas. Rosanna or Tessa. He doesn't mention Deirdre. He trusts. I think Deirdre is one of the few people he trusts completely. Well, that's why I thought it was interesting that he said. I, are you sure? Was it Deirdre? Rosanna. And, I think. 
because like the whole point in skin games is that he's she's the only one he trusts. What were you saying, director? While he's uh, looking at Thorn Nam Shield did the strangle Fantastic. spell against someone um, in the 13th century in Glasgow, which seems like a very specific reference. Right. Yeah, I looked I looked it up like freaking five times, and there's nothing. <laughs> okay. Right. Some some additional little things, just because I think I brought this up when we were doing proven guilty, is that uh, I, we we weren't sure on like the the size and disposition of the Black Council and things like that. And it seems like there's only the one denarian on it, at least as far as anybody knows. So it, it seemed very very specifically brought up that there was only one denarian that was there at Octus Tor. <laughs> And it was probably Thorn and Namshiel specifically. So, mm. uh, weird thought. Mm. So Namshiel throws the bag off to the side, and we assume is taken by Tessa or Rosanna, or something like that. Right. But what if it was whoever went to Demon Reach in Turncoat via the ways? Gave it up to a mortal, Rando. No, or, they gave it to the Black Council. Oh, yeah. the Black Council yeah. Mm -hmm. wizard. Yeah, because to the Unseen Force, whether or not that was Christos directly or whoever else they got on the inside of the Council. Yeah, yeah because whoever... that's Thorn and Namshiel, so... Um, maybe. I mean, yeah. I don't remember that we see any of these particular Denarians pop up again in Skin Game. So they could still be out and about there somewhere. Right. Wait, Tessa... No, but I'm saying of oh, the dead ones in, that were in the bag. That and you know, the bag went lost, and ah, so none of these guys right. pop up. The only ones that pop up again are Ursio and, and Lashiel, and the ones we already knew were, or were AWOL before this. Right. So I guess it's possible. Yeah, and I'm trying to think because they have Sonya tied up in Tehran or something like that, right? And uh, Iran. Iran. Yeah. And. But I'm not sure if we saw who was there, you know, for the smoke Shaggy stream. feathers. Okay. And at least one other. Okay. Shaggy Which, feathers. Shaggy feathers and is the one Thomas killed, I think. So. Well, and plus, there's also I think it's it's Magog's coin after uh, my namesake kills him, and that one may be with Marcone. Mm -hmm. Or guard. Yeah. Right. Right. So essentially, uh, Monarch. As the oversight of that particular one, uh, the island is another example of of Harry being smart instead of being a brute, actually figuring out where they are beforehand. Well, yeah, wasn't was that Lucio? Yeah, it was like that was. Yeah, yeah Lucio tells him at, it's at the end of this one, right? That his in, his um, sight is coming in. Um, the Even island's going to be important to you later. Yeah, even before that, though, what what Andreas is talking about is the ley lines conversation. Yeah. Oh yeah, what, what Lucio brings out the map and yeah, because he's like, ah, I can't track them through blood because duh, because of course they thought of that because also it's over you know miles of water, so that's never going to work. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so so yeah, you d to get us back on track a little bit since we're way over already anyway. Um, you know, Shocking. so yeah, Harry Harry tries to track them, it doesn't work out. Lucio's like, hey, stupid! For some reason, we have these ancient maps of ley lines that have never been mentioned before, but are super convenient right now. So, um, <laughs> for some reason, because the plot didn't dictate they'd be brought up until the next couple of books, where we find out what Demon Rage is. Right. So he's probably on this island right there. Lucky guess. Um, 
the water beetle totally uh no that that doesn't really factor until the end um so they they make a deal uh rosanna shows up um they take sonya michael and dresden to the island i mean that you have a little bit of a quip about how you know tessa or not tessa uh, rosanna did something that set them off and then harry you know she's like yeah but you brought the knights and he's like yeah because it's you guys nicodemus was supposed to be the one to meet them and take oh them. yeah that's right right that's rosanna right. was pulling up the harry calls her on her uh damsel act like making people like sonya feel bad for her yeah. right and like oh she's a poor tortured demon yeah on the boat that and it was great because he was super a dick about it but i mean it's not like she didn't earn it <laughs> so um so the, you immortal types wouldn't ref, uh, rec, recognize a pop culture reference if it deposited an egg in your throat. Yeah, skittered up and it, plos- it planted a embryo in your esophagus. Yeah. Yeah. So. And then they get uh, attacked by kelpies out right. in the water. As one does. Right. So yeah, they they're like, uh oh, what? Warm wind. Warm summer's wind. coming. <laughs> so. Go faster. Go go. Right, so they get attacked by Kelpies. Even they understand if it's kind of like, uh, oh shit. Right. Uh, they get to the island. There's really great moments again between Harry and Nicodemus where, you know, Harry's playing his little gambit out and basically, you know, pretending to be the loose cannon that Michael still can't totally trust him, right? So he's worried that Harry's going to employ the sword and Harry's just trying to get a peek at where they're holding Marcone. Uh, but Michael seems to be really freaking worried about it for a minute until Harry sees Marcone and then says, okay, and then throws the sword to, <laughs> to Michael and all hell the breaks last, loose. The last time he saw Harry do something like that with a sword, his <laughs> right. almost destroyed it. Right. Yeah, so uh, I thought that was just great because, you know, Michael not being in on the plan really sells the plan, you know, so... Harry uses dragon's breath rounds, which we've totally never seen before, but he kind of uses them as a flare, uh, you know, so he, he blinds all the shooters and... Um, and in comes the best scene in the Dresden Files. Really? The best scene? That's This is what you're going to... This is okay. your hill? Okay, okay. I don't know if it's the best scene, <laughs> but I really like the Ride of the Valkyries. You mean the scene that they did in Death Masks? Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I love the scene. Do you hear strings? So. Also, oh, you gotta you gotta appreciate how this is the this is going to be the first of two Denarian books in a row where Ma- Harry doesn't let Michael in on his plan and outsmarts Nicodemus. You'd think he'd learn a little bit, like because the next book he doesn't know about Goodman. Neither one of them know about Goodman, right. and um, he's just playing his own game again. Game right. over, man. Harry's getting smart. Yeah, and no, then he's, even 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 the death masks. Harry still kind of outsmarts Nicodemus with the having to buy the news and yanking. Well, he gets a, he gets a little taste of it, right? But in, and yeah. then this sure. one, of course, you know. Yeah, he figures it out. Oh, yeah, yeah. by the way. Right. It seemed, I like I got a resp- yeah, it seemed like I got a response. We should try that more with more gusto. Once more healing. I like that specific part, right? He's like, most people stop when they like stop finding. Just keep hanging on. Right, right. Yeah, uh, so so basically all hell breaks loose. Michael running around with two swords of the cross. Sonya there to back him up, AK-47 and sword. Um, you know, they're killing Denarians, a couple. They're, uh, you know, dealing with the uh, 
the mortal dudes and the dogs. Um, Harry sees the most, you know, genius, beautiful circle he's ever seen. And luckily it only takes a monkey with a stick to break the whole thing and bring it down. Uh, so he, he smashes Ivy out of it. They had this, some crazy awesome circle that they were holding her in to cut her off from her power and spin her and uh, everything. Because she, she used that in the aquarium, right? That was yeah, kind of the... to Mad Dog. Yes. She had, uh, had him suspended and kept spinning him around sickeningly. So right. they did that to her. Right. They were like, good idea, little girl. Yeah, so uh, they get Marcone out. Uh, guard, you know, has a nice little side-mounted minigun that they're, you know, dealing with all the mortal types. And they get everybody out, you know, except for one, mostly. So Marcone again yeah. shows why Harry can't just completely hate him. Right. Yeah. I have, I have an interesting observation with this. We have the archive in a circle, in a magic circle. Yeah. But Harry can still communicate to her through her innate magic where he writes the note. Maybe she wasn't in the circle yet. Maybe. I think she was. I think that spell is just so or what fundamental. Yeah, that's what I would be thinking. Is that it like circle. bypasses a circle. It's all-encompassing always. But the, so circle the archive can't be cut off from getting information. Well, there's also nothing to say that magical influence can't get in. It's just to keep her power from getting out, basically. Mm -hmm. So that's true. But I'll take it one more, too, because he makes a reference here again that the previous best circle he saw was in Full Moon, but the Full Moon circle was targeted to specific things. So maybe they just didn't account for it, you know, but... but They, I, they might not have cared. They would have thought to care about that. Right. 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 And, that's, and that's kind of what I'm thinking, too, is that it, it is another one of those Dresden clever moments where it's just like yep 2000 years old never thought about that so yeah you know if i i think it might be developed a little bit maybe that's this wouldn't be true to the dresden files but it's one of those sauron weaknesses where he looks for the big obvious things that uh, that'll oppose him and doesn't ever consider uh doesn't ever consider that the little things would get would be his undoing you know well, if if Harry finds a hobbit that just happens to kill Nicodemus, you know, in book 20, then I'm at, he I'm has at. a hobbit and she works with, or used to work with <laughs> And she took her shot in book 15 and missed. So. <laughs> so. So speaking of the feels then, so basically Harry and Marcone and the archive get to where they're going to get uh, winched up into the helicopter and everything like that. Um, Marcone's supposed to go first because that's how they got Guard and Hendrix to help out. Um, but Marcone won't leave before the little girl, so Harry puts her in his arms and sends them both up. Uh, and then while they're waiting, he he just happens to look up and see Guard is looking really hard at Michael for some reason. Mm -hmm. And so he he makes Mike steals his fate. Yeah, right. Well, kind of. I mean, it's it's the difference between you know seriously maimed or dead you know so um but yeah she you know he sends uh, michael up next but uh, tessa manages to get the machine gun from him because harry is bad with guns and so he got tangled up in the uh in the harness uh and then she takes it and shoots michael and you know basically i mean when i read it the first time i thought he was dead dead like i i was just like yep that he's dead it's almost like he's it was dead. a miracle that he survived right uh, or or he spit in the eye of destiny, as it were. Um, so, 
So yeah, Michael gets uh, taken out practically. And then um, in that same burst of fire, basically the, the helicopter takes a bunch of rounds. So it ends up having to fly off and we're not sure if they're going to make it, but spoilers, they do. Um, that, but that leaves, that leaves Harry stuck on the island by himself with a bunch of Denarians, a bunch of other dudes and, you know, one pissed off gruff as we find out. So, I mean, EG, you just might as well talk about yourself. Was not pissed off. Was perfectly reserved and calm. <laughs> Only got pissed off when the idiot Denarian decided that he was going to mouth off. <laughs> right. Which is great, too, because, like, I, I always assumed that they were talking in, like, an angelic tongue or something like that. But it, it's entirely possible it was just, like, whatever Gruff, you know, speaks. Yeah. And, and for whatever reason, Gruff is talking in English for our benefit, right? And well, so, I'm pretty sure most supernatural creatures are kind of like, you know, they have the all speak and the universal translator. They just know that shit. Right. Also, when a gigantic monster just like, rah, at you, you kind of figure out what it means. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Well, but no, they were having a really <laughs> intense, like, conversation. Just because it came out in growls yeah, doesn't mean there wasn't meaning behind them that he was answering. Does your and dog it, ever make noises at you? You can have full conversations with animals. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but, that, but you don't about, usually tell the you don't usually tell your dog. Listen, don't mistake peaceable intentions for the fact that I'm not giving you a milk bone. Right? You, you don't have you don't have that level of understanding. You don't have the bones. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, then he one shots Magog because Magog sucks and, and turns him into a garden, which I think was a great touch too, because like he one shots him with some green shit that also sprouts flowers because summer, yeah, you know. yeah. Well, because <laughs> and Harry makes a comment that it looks like he died painlessly like he just <laughs> done right he just right. stopped living mm -hmm. and then he finds out that he's basically murphy height and this really imposing creature and he basically uh worms his way out of having to duel someone that would have ragdolled him all over the place by <laughs> making him leave the field of combat which would end all the uh hostilities and get him a donut Right. And and it's all of this combined, right? So we've got, he one-shots their bruiser, Denarian, that we've got in this book. He uh, he shows up with all this pomp and circumstance, you know, stomping his staff and sounds really big and scary. And we've already seen Tiny, who's like bigger than McAnally's practically, right? So we're expecting something even more huge. Right. And then he's, you know, he's four foot nothing, but he also has three stoles of the senior council on him so he's defeated at least three senior council level wizards that he's just wearing as as badges mm -hmm. and so you know then then they have you know their little conversation i'm trying to remember what even sets off the joking because oh wait because harry says look, look look dude i have a hard enough time figuring out what mortal women want. oh yes let alone yeah. what what Mab, you know, a Fey woman would want, and he starts hee haw laughing. <laughs> right. So, so oh. they're both laughing their asses off and have this tender moment. And then Gruff is like, Yeah, but I'm still going to have to kill you. Uh, and he's then, like, Listen, no, and, he, and he makes it very clear. He's like, So you serve Summer and then the Queen in that order, right? Right. Yeah. And if neither, if one of us wasn't here, then it, it would all be over. Yes. Cool. Go get me a donut. <laughs> What? <laughs> That's it. That's all I want. And, but but it's got to be a real one. Yeah. Fresh and, and warm, so you have to wait for the bakeries to open. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That that was that's yeah my favorite part. That and then the whole like would 
would thou likest jelly in thy donut? So pray nay, but with sprinkles on top, or however he says that. Although he, wa he wastes it on vanilla. I mean, that's just sacrilege. It's, a, it's a pretty close second for me. This 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 is the part of the, the whole emissary subplot that made sense to me. The donut thing. That was funny. Eldest Gruff is hilarious. He's wonderful. Right. And up building up to this, I could have been fine without all of those fight scenes because but <laughs> but this scene makes it worth it. And yet it's it feels so triumphant when Terry has the donut and he's eating it, he's snacking on it. Well, he's well, rubbing it in Thomas's Thomas. face. Yeah, 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 it's it's We're so and wonderful. And then it comes back. To, uh, he gets thrown at him. The whole event gets thrown back at him by uh, good old what's his face in the in the next book. Well, it's Morgan. Morgan. Morgan makes fun of him, and it says all the fairy court was laughing at him for choosing a donut as his boon. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's it literally saved his life. But yeah, the whole the whole comment from <laughs> Thomas Christ, you don't even explain the little things, do you? It's, it's like, like a drunk. drunk. It's like a drunk. <laughs> yeah. Monster's delivery in that is really good. Right. He probably had a donut for that. So the um, the thing between the donut and uh, and Gruff not killing him is the fight. Is like the fight and escape from the island. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a fight. He gets away from all the denarians except Magog, basically, and uh, Eldest kills him, and then they leave. Oh well, no. Well, then he goes here, to confront Nicodemus. Confront yeah, him. Harry goes for the boat. Nicodemus is there because he's not a comic book villain, so he's like, yeah. "Of course, the one way off the island." <laughs> yeah. yeah. And here is my biggest pet peeve plot hole in the whole book. Okay. Uh, when after he strangles him, throws him in the water. There's all these gunmen on the beach, and she's like, "Don't shoot! You'll hit my father!" Right, and I'm just like, "Right, oh." <laughs> well, I mean, we kind of see in a couple of places, honestly. I think Deidre is really she's not very bright. Like, despite the fact that she's probably almost two thousand years old herself, and all of this other stuff, like you see her makes a whole lot of questionable choices and be driven by her emotions all the time. But yeah, that's definitely one of those things. Like Nick is closest to dead as she's probably ever seen him because right. of the thing that protects him. And maybe she's worried that a couple bullet holes might push him over the edge. There is that. No, but okay, you know that <laughs> if that's how you want to justify it, whatever. Like the dude, the the she has to know that the noose makes him all but invulnerable, or the fact that if he but he's is almost dead, if he isn't dead, then Enduriel's going to save him. If he is dead, then a couple of bullet holes aren't going to make it worse, <laughs> you know. So I I don't know. Like Mostly I mean, there was slightly alive. It, it's like the post earlier this week, you know, crying about how like Harry wouldn't have been able to survive that many, you know, trained marksmen shooting at him anyway and, and all of that stuff too. Like they probably should have died on that island a couple of different ways, but um, you know, he they had a lot of getting hit by the bullets, but his uh, spell protected duster saves him. Mm -hmm. uh, that's fair. So I, I know there's some of that. There's the shields and, you know, things as well. Like, uh, for me, it's, I mean, it's the A-team stuff, right? We got the inverse law of ninjutsu is on our side. We've got plot armor thicker than some battleship holes, you know, like just the whole thing. Uh, and then to, to balance the scales, we got Michael to pay for it all. So, sorry, too soon. <laughs> that that hurt me. <laughs> so, <laughs> But it didn't stop you. Nope. No, I'm terrible. 
And then Thomas shows up with the water beetle because Harry was thinking ahead and right. Murphy takes Fetalachius and gets a job offer. Right. Yeah, all she has to do is draw it and Deidre bitches out and leaves. So again, not very smart because like, I really think Deirdre probably could have taken them, you know, even with the sword, but I don't know. It depends on how much they were superpowering the sword, but... Right. How, how much... You know, Big G has got the his hand on the scale this time because yeah. I mean, because I think it's even earlier in this book, Michael has the line where he's like, Yeah, normally we prefer to do like two on one, three on one if we can manage it. And yeah. so, like, definitely a one on one. We've seen them do it in the book series because, you know, because plot reasons, but you know, Murphy not really being trained, barely picking it up, etc. They'd, they'd be having a She's pretty well just, in, in sword fighting, isn't she? She yeah, is, but she didn't know she what she was getting into in that fight. Why she's useless. She's not. It's not like she's Michael trained or even Sonya trained. So that's well, that's mostly I mean, what I mean. I mean, she I would kick Butter's ass, but... Listen, she's trained enough that she was able to... I mean, you no. want to say Nicodemus threw that fight? Fine, but there's really no reason for him to throw that fight. Unless he, he, no, he actively is enough. like... It's like he got surprised and then he's like, oh, but wait, I can fuck her over with the swords later. So you have someone who has no business beating a guy with 2,000 years of sword play. Unless she's just that good. It's, it's well, the Hobbit, it's, it's the Hobbit factor. Yeah, right? She is no man. Ha! Right, okay. but that's what I'm saying. So she's that good with a katana, and she's an expert marksman, and jujitsu, and all while rising to the ranks of running her own unit in Chicago Police Department. Well, it was also, it was also just that one moment, functionally. That and, and changes. Uh... I don't know that she when she when she tries in uh, skin game she fails. No, she wins the fight, but she, she breaks the, the sword because of her judgment. Oh right. well, okay. That's, yeah. I still cut that as a loss. And yeah, I mean obviously Nicodemus is going to count that as a win as well. But I, again, there I I feel like there's a fair bit of you know balancing, which is. Okay, so nerding out entirely here, right? We, it, the fight between Murphy and Nicodemus, and this is a terrible analogy, is the same as the fight between Yoda and Count Dooku in Clone Wars, right? They're equal in the Force, so they have to they have to decide it with swords at that point. And yes, Nicodemus should have still been able to kick her ass, but for reasons they're they're on the same you know the same thing. But I, I don't know, like. To me, that doesn't bother me. It's it's all there to set up the moral choice that is the real fight, right? And that's part right. of what I like about the Denarians and the Knights is that even Michael says, look, I'm not here to kill the Denarians. I'm here to redeem them, you know? And so it, it just kind of subverts what you would kind of expect with the fact that they're worked into swords and other weapons uh, is that, you know, they're, it's really a spiritual battle that they're waging, yeah, which should be the, the tr more true interpretation of the battle between good and evil. There's not literal armies taking fields against each other doing this shit. And they kind of bring it up in the warrior, right? That it's a moral battle. It's not a physical one. And Murphy lost. You know, she might have won the physical battle, but it might have been Nicodemus through the fight just to goad her into the thing, right? Like you you had kind of mentioned that. He so drew a chance to take when even he says, I don't know if uh, it would have worked if you didn't have that little line of judgment. Like he was, he, he could have potentially had lost his head there. Well, I, no, I, 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 I just, I don't buy it. Cause 
I mean, he's killed Knights of the Cross before. And so, I mean, he hasn't necessarily broken swords before, but, you know, and maybe that's the difference is like, this was the first time he took the gambit to, to go for the sword break versus, you know, just killing her outright, you know? So he's like, I, I could just stop the knight or I could break the sword, which again, to him, he's focusing on the wrong point. Yeah, because it, it's a it's a hell of a chance for him to take, especially when he's, um, you know, Harry's goaded him before with how many times do you wait? In the first book they meet, how many times have you woken up in the night with a cold sweat? Like, this sword's going to come right through your neck. Now that right. literal sword is at his neck, and he's taking that chance as his plan all along. Seems a little... It seems like something he, he saw the opportunity, and he took it because he really didn't have another chance, choice. Right. Well, and... I mean, we'll get back there. I've only—I think I've only read it the once, so you know, I'll—I'll I'll be curious to read it with a different interpretation. So, okay, what what do we got left? You know, we, we they leave. He thwarts them off. They they escape the island, and right. He has a uh, has a talk with Mab and Yorio at the end after in the hospital the chapel. He's like, yeah, you can all fuck off. Yeah, he's gonna stay with Michael. And oh, right. Charity says, so "Families stay." Yeah, families stay. Yeah, and she the acceptance of Harry from well, she probably accepted him like three books ago, but Harry doesn't really know until here. Right, and it, it does mirror a little bit more of the way that she was talking to him in the beginning of the book. Of you never got to throw snowballs when you were a kid. You never had that family moment, and she throws snowballs at him. Right, and now she insists that no families stay, and it kind of echoes on more with Maggie's situation later. Right. She So she's a lot warmer to him in this book, absolutely. The thing that I was going to bring up about the whole snowball fight and everything like that is she is letting Harry and Molly practice magic with the kids in the back fucking yard. What? That's the point. <laughs> I was like, if that doesn't show you how far she's come, like, because the, the entire time in, in Proven Guilty, right, they were like, you know, you're going to give up your magic because that's what I did for the family and all this other stuff. And why everyone's like, oh, man, I don't know how they're going to take Molly being, you know, the winter lady and shit. And it was like, I mean, they were in the backyard doing magic, letting the kids throw snowballs at Molly to participate in it. So they were actively participating in her magical training at that point. So... Um, yeah, but, but she, she's definitely come around. I, I blame proven guilty. You know, obviously you went into the literal heart of winter to help me save my baby girl probably does a lot to endear it. The fact that Michael would be there, as she says, you know, Michael would be here for you. You're going to be here for him. Um, you know, super tender more with the feels. Yeah. And then the argument with Uriel. Was it an argument? This kind of, oh, he starts I mean, yelling about yelling the God, and all that. Real. Yeah, he was he was yelling at God for sure. You know, right. like, you know, the well, you're you're not the first person that's been mad at him. It's not his fault, but you know, I understand. You know, Mab freezing his eyeballs, good times. Yeah. The the freezing the eyeballs that, I think happened. Memory there? Huh? No. So he, she froze his eyeballs when um, he insulted her when she was originally oh, right. in the beginning of the book. And he had already been questioning, why are you using Grey Malkin? And then when she was explaining herself at the end, after she threatened of taking Thomas, um, she was thinking of the insult that Nicodemus had done. And we don't know yet 
that Maeve has been infected, but she's holding that against him. And she speaks using her own voice after Grey Malkin warned about that that would destroy anyone listening. And he like has a concussion after. Right. And then he goes to confront Marcone, you know, about the coin because they were like, hey, guess what? We came up a coin short. It's like, I know exactly who had the opportunity at least to uh, to do that. So mm -hmm. and he yeah. will make inquiries of which we have not heard the result of yet. Right. And then Sonya gives him Amarakis. Uh, we also have the little bit where Harry uh, calls out uh, Helen as being the one that might have uh, given up. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, and she... that's all but confirmed by her that she did do that. Right. Yeah, well, Harry basically tells her, you know, listen, he's not an idiot. We're going to figure this shit out. Right. Yeah. So he uses it for leverage for information later, which he also hasn't called in yet. Oh, really? I haven't seen Beckett since this book, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Which is fine. Two books in a row is enough. <laughs> we'll put it on the shelf for in the library. Talk. No, just... I, I I think that's that's what I'm going to call like every loose end that it's like this is going to come up later. It's like it's in Lord Race Library. So <laughs> once that pays off, we can get all these other little nuggets to pay off. So you can't pay off a nugget that the guy doesn't even remember. I know, but that's it. what I'm saying. I'm I'm like, hey man, when when this big one pays off, all the little shit that he doesn't remember can pay off. So. <laughs> All right, so, I think, are we done? We're good. I think, I, I think so. Although I mean, I have we're to say, shy of two hours. Come on. Whatever Let's... the fuck that Jim did to Mab in chapter forty-nine, because the next day that he gave out that chapter to the betas, we had a bomb cyclone in Denver. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, he revealed that she was, you know, she could, she uh, was pissed off about everything that happened at Arctis Tour, so she was just voicing her displeasure. You know, because we that's didn't... how the world works. Oh wait, never mind. We totally did. Never mind. Huh? We, we did we at the end. We got a little. We got a fun little tidbit about the archangels. That was interesting. Maybe he said right. that she was one of the furies, and they don't like to be called that. They, they prefer to be called the kindly ones. Those, nobody reads Sandman in here. <laughs> no. No, never mind. Oh wait, so is that it? That bomb I... cyclone sucked. That's all I'm saying. Right. It's been how many years? Get over it. Yeah, but did you die? No, sorry. That terrible. I hope nobody died. Anyway. Should we do the plug? I'm sure somebody died. Somebody always dies. I dies. mean, it's called a bomb cyclone. I'm not even sure I've heard that terminology before. Me neither. So. It, and it's like a tropical storm over land or something. It's like, well, that's because they replace it every this? couple of years. It's like when you posted that link before. And I said, yeah, and this year's buzzword was the... Uh, right. What the hell did they... I don't oh, even remember. You yeah, guys, the polar vortex. Right. They come up with something every two, five years, and they're just like, oh my god, it's the storm that's going to kill us all. And gets people it to watch the weather channel. 60 degrees to bomb cyclone back to 50s. because. And this was before weed was legal, so there was nothing to do. <laughs> all right, I think we're all, all right. done. So the plugs. Thank yeah. you for watching the Dresden Files podcast. Holy shit, Ben's here? <laughs> I, I've been talking the whole time. Episode 84, parts one and two. Uh, we are happy that you watched. We have a whole bunch of other podcasts for you to listen to as part of the Broken Jars Network. 
Uh, we have what? Great Scott going on The Office. Almost done, but still getting some episodes out there. High Fantasy, which is on hiatus, but still check out their back catalog. Uh, we also have uh, Sim Talk, which is a super professional podcast about professionals talking about professional things. Just the professional things. They talk about simulations and professionalism. But not about SimCity, alas. They do talk about professional simulations, as you say, industrial stuff. So, yes, all sorts of professional things happening at the Broken Jazz Network, the least of which is the Dresden Files podcast. Thank you for watching. I think, is there, is there anything else? Are there other, have I ever seen other podcasts? A very professional outro of thank you for watching. Oh, let me. <laughs> <laughs>